thank you all for being here. Uh, this is an opportunity to cover topics that we don't normally get to, to cover and, and talk about things and discuss them in a, in a uh, casual way after we have had time to, um, to unpack some thoughts. Um, my format tonight will be the same as it was last night, so I want to read a little bit of scripture. I'm going to do uh, an overview of the subject, give you a little bit of a recap of last week, and then after about 20 minutes or so, then we'll cut it off and we'll have time for discussion, meaning we'll cut the recording off so that we can have free discussion. You don't have to worry about um, what you say being recorded for posterity. That's my problem. I have to worry about what I say being re recorded for posterity, but, uh, but you don't. Then we can have that free discussion. So if you have any thoughts or questions, hold on to them. We're going to have time at the end uh, to, to cover those. Um, so here, God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thus far the reading of God's word. Last week, we started the short series on training children for worship, a subject that requires all of our interest and all of our help. We are loving each other through these various stages of life. And we established last week why it is important that we keep our children with us in the sanctuary on the Lord's Day and why we don't ship them off to other entertainments. Why do we have them? It's simple. They're worshipers, and God calls them to appear before him just as he calls all of us. The worship of our children is pleasing to God. And Psalm 8 says, their voices silence the enemy and the avenger. So um, we need them with us when we go into worship. Both we and our children need to confess our sins. Both we and our children must sing the Psalms, hear God's word read and proclaim, offer up our petitions and thanksgivings. Both we and our children must eat at the Lord's table and be sent out with a blessing. There's this tendency, especially in the Reformed world, to think of this as all grown-up stuff. This is adult stuff. This is the business of grown-ups. And, and these uh, are not the duties of the little people of God, but they are. Remember, Jesus set a child in the midst of his disciples and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So we want everyone to keep their children with them in worship. All of the elders... And I can speak for all of us and say, this is what we want. We want all of the children with us in worship. And we know full well that when we say that, that's going to mean that a room full of babies is sometimes going to sound like a room full of babies. It's going to sound like that. And, and that is what you get. Worship is not an opera hall. Worship is not a library. Worship is not a fancy restaurant. But neither is it a playground or a Chuck E. Cheese. There are things that have to be said and heard in the uh, gathering of God's people. There are things that must be clearly communicated, clearly understand, and received. So we have to exercise a great amount of patience and consideration with each other, as we covered last week, both to be indistractable and undistracting. These are two duties every Lord's Day. Not just people with kids, everybody must be indistractable and 
undistracting. If we are indistractable, we are exercising self-control and focusing our attention on the reading and the preaching of the word. We are stealing ourselves against distraction. Some of us are more easily distracted than others, and that's just uh, the way God made us. That's, the, that's our frame. But all of us must, must exercise ourselves toward being indistractable. And on the other side, if we are undistracting, we are practicing self-control in not presenting distractions for our uh, brothers and sisters. So the target behavior for everyone during the reading and the preaching of the word is that everyone is sitting still, not getting up and getting down. There are, um, there are young men who for some reason, and I'm talking about young adult men who just get bored for some reason. In the middle of the sermon, they just wander down the hallway, maybe to use the potty, you know, like a 25-year-old man, can't make it through worship without using the toilet or refilling his water bottle. Um, it, that's, uh, that creates chaos, that creates visual disruptions in the, in the service. So the, so, the, so the goal is that everyone is sitting still, not getting up and down, not fidgeting, not kicking the seat in front of you, facing forward, that means not making faces at the people behind you, not staring at the ceiling, not looking out the window, and not making any sound. That means not talking. That includes talking to our spouses. That includes talking to our children. It's not talking time. And we talked last week in the informal time about the ineffectiveness of shh. That doesn't work. It doesn't do anything other than add noise to an already noisy situation. The, the goal is silence. And, and when you're shh-ing, your baby thinks, oh yeah, it's time to make noise. Mommy's making noise, daddy's making noise. It's noise time. Um, so, so we're not making, not making uh, noise, you know, not making bodily noises and um, clicking and banging and snapping. So that's the target. Everyone, when God's word is being read and proclaimed, everyone sitting, um, facing forward, not making noise, focused on exercising yourself on um, the word. That's the target. But there are emergencies. Things come up. There are times that babies make noises, and so we have to address those in the most discreet way possible. You set yourself up for a quick exit. Um, you don't make a big dramatic deal out of um, getting them out of the room to take care of their needs. So this week, I aim to cover how we prepare our children for Sunday morning and this happens way before Sunday morning. How do we prepare our kids for Sunday morning? Training our children to worship and training our children not to be a distraction during worship does not begin and end on Sunday morning. This training goes on all the time. We are always training our children at home for how they're gonna behave in public. We are training our children at home for how they're going to behave in the public worship of God. Moses, when he gives the law to that generation who's about to go into the land of Canaan, he's not content that, well, the adults know the law and the kids are just going to pick it up. They're just going to pick it up in the holy convocation on the Sabbath. The kids are going to pick it up when they come to the feast days and when they come up to the tabernacle to sacrifice. I'm sure that they're just going to get the word like osmosis, right? They're going to get God's law and it's just going to filter down to them. No, Moses is not content that that's going to happen. He's not assuming that's going to happen. So he exhorts the people to teach God's law to their children diligently. 
and to talk of them when they sit in their house, when they walk by the way, when they lie down and when they rise up, to bind them as signs on their hands and as frontlets between their eyes. Write them on the doorposts of their house and on their gates. And what Moses is saying to the people is, you never stop training your children. Everyone homeschools, right? I mean, even if you use a, a government school, you're still homeschooling because you're training your children something at home. It may not be great, it may be great. I mean, you're, we're all homeschooling all the time. Every moment you spend with your child, you're training them in God's order and ways. You're always modeling and teaching. That, you might think, oh, that goes without saying, but it, it doesn't go without saying. Just think for just a moment. This this idea that you're always training your child in God's ways and in his laws and in, in how to be a faithful man or woman, this concept that I just presented runs directly counter to this very popular perspective that there can be two standards of behavior, two different standards of behavior, one at home and one out in public. And it, and it usually gets expressed benignly this way, oh, he, he's at home, he doesn't need to learn manners. I mean, he's at home, he can belch, you know, he can flatulate at the dinner table, that's okay. Oh, oh, he's at home, he doesn't need to say please or thank you, and he can jump on the furniture and run amok and, and go through the house tearing things up, you know, because he's at home. And then you take that same child out in public and you can't control him for some reason. It's because you have a, this assumption that, well, when you're out in public, you're supposed to behave like a civilized person, but which you're, when you're at home, you know, you can act kind of like a barnyard animal. Um, but what you get in public is what you train for at home with, with children all the time. What you get in public is what you train for at home. Uh, think about a piano recital. If you don't practice at home and you think, oh yeah, the recital's at seven, you know, I'll just warm up a little bit um, and I'll play the piece in public. Well, you're gonna be horribly embarrassed. That's not gonna work. If you, if you don't go to the driving range and work on your golf swing, you're gonna be miserable on the golf course. It's not gonna be any fun. So if you're gonna have success with your children in public, there has to be consistent, ongoing training in the background, faithfully. So if you don't want your children running rampant through other people's houses, there have to be boundaries at home. Um, a lot of us grew up, you know, when you went to grandma's house, there was a room that you weren't supposed to go in, right? <laughs> there was like this fancy sitting room. And even my mother at, a, at, a, at one point in one of our houses, there was this fancy room that we weren't supposed to go in. Kids weren't allowed in there. Uh, there were things that were off limits. There were things not to touch. There were things to stay away from. There were boundaries. And, and so we, we learn boundaries at home that then translate to, if, if the only time I hear no is out in public, what, what, are you, what is this crazy person giving me these directions for out here in public? I, they, they have to learn this at home. Um, so this goes for everything. If you, if you want your child to have table manners in public, you don't say at home, oh, well, he's at home, you know, he, he, doesn't have to he doesn't have to use utensils at home because, you know, it's just us. He's okay. You know, kids are just messy. That's right, kids are just messy, but it's not okay. They need to be trained, and the only way they're gonna get it is from you. If you take them to the restaurant and assume that you're just gonna learn it there at the restaurant, 
you are setting them up and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And, and all of this is, all of this comes with the territory. We all know this. If we have children, we know that what you get in public is what you train for at home. Now, here's the, here's the place where I want to move this forward a little bit, and that is, it's the same thing with worship. If the only time your child is expected to use a fork is when you're at a restaurant, you've got, that's a problem. And if the only time your child is expected to sit on their bottom, facing forward, not making any noise, if the only time that's expected of them is on Sunday morning in worship, you're not going to get that on Sunday morning in worship. I can promise you it's not going to happen. You're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. The only difference is I don't think they're actually sinning in that confusion. Um, but, but we are. We are sinning because we are failing to train them. So how do we train them at home for worship in public? There must be times of the day where you are talking and they're not talking. There must be times of the day where you're reading and they're quiet. And they must be quiet. They have to learn this, where they know that it's time to not talk. You expect quiet and you correct noise. You correct um, uh, interruptions. You, you correct th that. Um, and there must be times during the day where they are sitting still. Now, all of this is, what, are, what age are we talking about, right? All of this must be age appropriate. When you're talking about smaller children, you're talking about just a minute or two at a time. And you start off with just a few minutes a day and maybe a few times throughout the day. But you read to them and you talk to them and you listen to music. No, 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 this is time to be quiet. No, we're not talking now, we're listening. We're listening, be quiet, we're listening. Or we're listening to a story, we're listening to an audiobook. we're doing something like that. It's time to listen, it's time to listen. Now, if there's a, a, you know, if they have a question or if they wanna interject something, um, you, you, you have a sign for that. My um, kids would hold onto my arm. If I was reading something and they had a question, they would just grab my wrist and I would wait till I was the end of the paragraph and then, oh, so what's your question? Um, and, and, and you can talk about, as they get older, you can talk about appropriate responses. It's okay to laugh. That's not an interruption to laugh. It's not an interruption to cry if the song is sad or if the story is sad or if the story is funny. You can laugh. That's not a, that's not a bad interruption. But just start to talk while I'm reading a story. That's not, that's not what we do. We don't do that. Um, it's also not okay to shriek like a banshee so that nobody else can hear the story. You know, if I'm reading the story and you want to sit there and that's not appropriate. So there must be times, there must be times, again, um, building up these muscles and building up this strength. It has to be times during the day and during the week where it's time to be quiet, it's time to sit still. It's, it's time to um, uh, pay attention. Uh, and, and doing that prepares them for the Lord's Day. It prepares them for worship so that this is not some weird anomaly where this is the only time of the week where they're required to sit still and be quiet. And then, of course, family worship is um, uh, helpful, what, whatever form that takes in your family. If you can get a few minutes after supper where you read and sing and pray, or if you read uh, right before bedtime, our, our little routine was um, bath, what was that? Bath, book, and bed. That was our nightly routine. And so that book was, uh, we had a little children's Bible, and, uh, but it was time to be quiet. It was time to listen at night and then, and then, go, and then go to bed. Um, but when God's word is open, um, we're not talking. 
um, we aren't fidgeting, we're not fussing with our brother, we're sitting still and listening. We don't expect from a one-year-old the same behavior we're expecting from a five-year-old or a 10-year-old. Don't hear me say that at all. Though in bigger families, I think the one-year-old gets it more quickly because he sees the five-year-old and the 10-year-old in their behavior. And I think, I think there's um, something that happens there as the, 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 the children um, get, it, get it more quickly. Um, so we must correct at home sounds that we don't want to hear in public. You must correct at home vocalizations that we don't want to hear in public and that especially we don't want to hear in worship. If you don't want to hear it in worship, uh, it's a good idea. Maybe, maybe we should start correcting that at home. One of the very first challenges with your baby is answering the question, why are they crying? And if you have a girl, you're still asking that question when they're 15 or 20, right? You say, what? why are they crying? I don't know. <laughs> they don't know why they're crying. Um, so boys do that too. Uh, I'm, I'm not picking on girls. Boys do that too. But with a baby, you're saying, why are they crying? Are they wet? Are they gassy? Are they fussy? Are they tired? Are they hungry? Are they bored? Why are they fussing? And pretty soon you start to learn your baby's cues. How do you categorize the noise that your child makes? Well, number one, there's the I need something cry. The legitimate I'm hurt, I'm hungry, I'm wet that, that cry, a dirty diaper, a hungry, a gassy, tired, I'm in pain, that's the first kind of cry. That's the first kind of noise. The secondly is the angry cry. You're making me do something I don't want to do, or you're not letting me have something I want to have. There's an angry cry, and you start to learn the difference between those cries, don't you? That's the, that's the fussy cry. That's the gassy cry. This is the angry cry, and that's a different category. There's the uh, bored restless moan or wail, right? It's the, uh, and, and little ones and do this. I mean, they, they learn this kind of keening, you know, whining sound um, that, that they make. And then, and then the fourth category is the, I've been corrected, I've been disciplined, and uh, I, I'm trying to get over it, but I'm, I've been corrected and I've taken my punishment and I'm I'm, uh, I'm learning my lesson. You know, that's sometimes when the little bottom lip curls and, um, you know, that little tear runs down the cheek after they've been corrected. And uh, I'm repenting and I'm pulling myself together, cry, is what that is. So there's the, I need something, I'm hurt, I'm sick, I'm hungry, cry. The legitimate needs cry, number one. Number two is the, I'm angry, cry. You're making me do something I don't wanna do. Third is the bored moan or wail. And fourth is the cry of repentance. It's sorrow leading to repentance, right? It's that, that pulling myself to cry. So which of these sounds need correction at home? Well, we don't discipline our children for crying when they have needs or when they're in pain. That's how they let us know something's wrong. We're not, we're not um, correcting that. We, we see that as a need to address that. We need to take care of that cry. We, that's, a, that's a call for us to do something. The repentant cry, let's go to the fourth one. The repentant cry, okay, let's repent and let's get happy. I mean, sometimes it takes the clouds a few minutes to pass on that repentant cry. Um, but, you know, you want to shorten that as much as you can, but you're not, you're not correcting that. You're not saying, all right, dry it up, dry it up. You know, it's like it may take a minute for them to, you know, smile again, and that's okay. But the ones we want to focus on that we actually are looking at correcting, even disciplining, are the middle two. The, um, 
the I'm angry noise and the I'm bored whiny noise, right? The, 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 the moan, right? So, so these two in the middle are the ones that are like, no, this is indication that something's spiritually wrong with you. This is, these are sinful attitudes that need correction. So we're not gonna scream if we're angry and we're not gonna moan and wail when we're bored, we're not gonna whine. These things get correction every time. When your you know, three, four-year-old says, but I wanted a popsicle, I told me I could play with the toy. Then you stop them and say, um, I don't care what you have to say, you're not gonna talk that way. You're not gonna whine. If you wanna say it again, you do it without whining, but don't whine. We correct these attitudes. You don't get to annoy everybody else because you're upset. Now, if you're correcting these sounds, angry, whining, moaning, wailing, that, that indicate an out-of-sorts spirit, a, a sinful attitude, if you're correcting these sounds consistently at home, you're going to deal with them less in worship. Um, I could say you're cutting out 50% of the categories of crying if, if you're dealing with this at home, you're not going to get it as much in worship. So are we cutting out 50% of the crying? No, I think, I think you're actually dealing with more than that because you're correcting 100% of the sinful behavior. In worship, do they do the first cry? The, the babies do, the little ones sometimes do. But in worship, you're making sure they're fed, they're watered, they're clean. And if a baby has a need, you get up quickly to address it. Nobody is upset if an infant cries because they're hungry. It's easy to fix, it's easy to resolve. You, you feed them. Um, or you change their diaper, and, and that's taken care of. And then the fourth cry in worship, you know, you've corrected them. You get a little, you know, that when they, you know, catch their breath that they've been corrected. Yeah, that's, it's just, okay, they just get, bring them back. Come on, let's, let's, uh, let's get back to happy. Those, are, those ordinary sounds don't typically distract, and they're very easy to deal with ordinarily, easy to address in the moment. But the angry screeches, the moaning, the wailing, the bored that goes on and on and on, these are the problem areas that we focus on all the time and which are especially difficult to handle um, for the people around you in worship if, you're, if we're letting that go on. And, and so we can't wait until Sunday morning to address those noises as if, they're only unacceptable on Sunday. No, they're unacceptable on Tuesday, and they're unacceptable on Saturday as well. Um, so, so correcting sinful vocalizations uh, makes Sundays a lot easier because the, those they know we're not doing that. We're not making those sounds. Likewise, happy sounds like cooing or laughing or you know a baby you be in the middle of a prayer, you be in the middle of talking, and you hear a bah or da, or whatever, those are normal, and they come with the territory. We don't correct happy sounds. There's a time and a place for happy sounds, and they learn those as they get, you know, older. I, I hope that we don't have a 40-year-old going, da, you know, maybe, maybe you get so happy you do that, but we don't correct happy sounds, but, but shrieking and screaming like maniacs is not appropriate indoors, even if it is a silly screaming or a, a happy shrieking, if you don't curb it at home, you get it everywhere. You're gonna get it everywhere. What you get in public is what you've trained for at home. And so 
you, you can't have everybody screaming inside at home and think you're gonna contain it inside on Sunday morning at church. You get the behavior in public that you train for at home. Now, none of this is a formula for perfection, not at all. They are going to go off script and they're gonna disobey at home, even if you're correcting it. They're gonna go off script, they're gonna disobey, and they're gonna need correction, consistent correction. And no matter how well you train at home, they're gonna go off script in public and in worship, and they're gonna need to be corrected there too. But the consequences must be consistent both in public and at home. If the punishment is worse in public, what does that communicate? That communicates, I'm offended in public and I'm more offended by what you did because you embarrassed me or you made me look bad or you exposed my weak parenting skills and uh, you, uh, you made me look bad. They, they will mess up and they're gonna need reminders. Often gentle, starts off, you know, we don't throw tantrums, we don't moan, we don't wail, we don't whine, say it again without whining, we don't scream at the table, no, we don't do that. But as, as it needs correction, there's always swift, consistent, clear, direct consequences for willful obedience. Um, this is the time we sit still. This is the time we don't make noises. And if our whole week is sprinkled with these quiet times, it's time to sit still, it's time to be quiet right now, there's time to be quiet every day, so you know what's expected every day of the week, and when you mess up, you get reminded, you're, you're softening them and you're preparing them for their behavior on Sunday morning. One last thought before I... Um, Open it up for your thoughts and questions. I'm really interested in hearing your feedback. Um, one last thought in preparing for worship at home. Um, this, this also is not like revolutionary. Um, I think everybody knows this, but uh, Sunday comes every single week. We know that, right? Sunday comes every single week right on schedule. Sunday is never a surprise. It comes right after Saturday. And yet for some reason, Sunday sometimes feels like a surprise as everyone's scrambling around looking for the other shoe and getting everybody fed and finding that thing you promised to give to that other person at church and, and getting everybody in the car. And if that's every Sunday morning, if every Sunday morning is this mad scramble, it gets you to church weary and frazzled and exhausted and you're not happy and you're not at rest and your little ones pick up on the anxiety and the tension, and the stress, and the chaos, and they're out of sorts when you get to worship as well. So as you look at your calendar, Sunday morning, this week, I think Sunday comes after Saturday again this week. I think it does. It comes right after, Sunday morning comes after Saturday night, and everybody in your house is going to need two socks and two shoes, and everybody's going to need clothes, and everybody's going to need to be fed, and the car's going to need gas, and the diaper bag is going to need to be stocked, just do that all Saturday night. Get it all planned. A solid, robust Saturday evening routine makes Sunday mornings so much smoother. It makes Sunday mornings more of a delight and a rest. Um, how long does it take you to get to church? Add 15 minutes to that. Um, that's your start time. That's when you pull out of the driveway however long it takes to get here, plus 15 minutes. And then if something goes wrong, you have more bandwidth uh, to take care of it, because blowouts are going to happen. Um, that bad things, somebody's going to throw up on somebody. It's going to happen, but you're giving yourself more time to, to deal with it. Um, let me just close with this. Behavioral disasters in public are often the result of poor planning, inconsistency, and low standards at home. Train at home what you want to get
in public. And that goes for sounds and sitting still and the behavior we're looking for in worship. Okay, I'm going to stop there. We can hit stop on the recording.